who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Where old stories take on a new life and the world is teeming with possibilities. Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with. Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. I just had a moment of panic because I'm like, who's doing the spiel? Whose turn is it? Whose turn is it? We yeah, didn't talk well, about it. Yes, we usually establish before I hit record, but yeah. we didn't this time. I just had a moment of like, is it me? Is it me? Oh my God. Oh my God. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Everything is ruined. We'll never come back from this. No, never, ever. Well, welcome back to another mini episode welcome where back, everybody. we talk about what's in the news and and I'm going to say right off top, usually I come at you with some major shit that's going on in the news, but most of the major shit that's going on in the news right now has to do with a variety of shit going on with the Trump administration. Yeah. And I just did not feel like... I've got a bit of a shit storm if you want to start with yes, me. Yes, go ahead. Okay. I just didn't feel like diving into that right now. Um, You know, I really didn't either. I have some, like, I had a couple completely different topics that I was going to talk about. Um, one of them having to do with figure skating, and I'm like, I feel like I need to give it a rest. That whenever there's, like, scandal in the figure skating news, I don't I will say most people do not know. <laughs> oh, I know. This one was interesting, and I'm not going to talk about it today, but I'll mention it because it's it's uh, very similar to, like, a Larry Nassar situation where this pair skater man committed suicide and he was like a very prominent figure in u.s figure skating and now his former paris partner is coming out saying that he sexually assaulted her for years and that he was about to go in front of this committee and that's when he killed himself and all this kind of interesting stuff. so it's very interesting to me if more comes of it i'll bring it up sure yeah but i was like you know <laughs> i feel like they've heard me talk about skating stuff enough let let's put this one on the back burner for a little bit so right now all but two of the Democratic 2020 candidates are using the near-total abortion ban as a major platform for their 
And first of all, there's too many goddamn yeah. candidates. Like, there's way too many. There's I- enough. Like, it, you guys can fucking chill. Yeah. There's, like, over 20, and I'm like, this is a bad idea. It's really bad. Um, it doesn't it's spreading give me, us too thin. It doesn't give me a lot of hope for 2020, you know to be what honest. I mean? Like, yeah. we're over, like, quality over quantity at yes. this point. At, you know what I'm yes, saying? Yes, as it should be. Yeah. yeah. So, as we know, there are these very, very, very strict abortion bans happening in states such as um, Alabama, Mississippi, and Ohio, and things like that. So they are now becoming a major platform for the Democrats that are running for the 2020 president's election. So as most of the candidates define it, they want to make access to legal abortions federal law by passing legislation in Congress, even if the Supreme Court ends up overturning Roe v. Wade. The idea has been tossed around for years and gained more momentum when Trump was elected in 2016. So it was first brought to the table unsuccessfully in 2013 and then again in 2017, both times unsuccessful. Uh, and also for a long time, the idea of Roe v. Wade being overturned was so, like unheard of, unthought of, like, no one thought it was going to happen, that a lot of the activists weren't pushing as hard to, like, I mean, I get, I that. get that, but at the same time, it has been something, you know, being someone who used to be on the right, yeah, uh, and com- comes from a family that's very much on the right, it is something that has been in uh, objective for a very, very long time. Very long time, but they so, didn't think that with the Supreme Court that there was I any think that's really naive. real danger. I think it is, too, but they, a lot of people were saying that there didn't seem like a real... Um, I don't think I believe them. Like... Eminent danger, like it's going to happen now, which I don't. I don't know if that's the case. It's just what I read. But, I don't know because that was my question: is like if this is something that you are going to make part of your platform for uh, your presidential campaign, why isn't this something that you have spoken on moving forward with sooner? Everyone oh, who is talking well, about now, like, it seems like a popularity thing almost. You well, know? yeah, I mean, and everyone who's like, well, we started really thinking about it whenever Trump became president, and I'm like, all right, he was elected in 20. 16. Yeah. So you had a lot of time. You saw the danger. You knew before Trump was even elected that the next president would be picking at least one Supreme Court justice. Yeah. Um, so why wasn't this something that you moved on sooner? It I feels mean, like an opportunistic thing. People did. Like they, they were introducing these um, bills, but they were they were overturned. And it says that the idea of Roe v. Wade being overturned seemed nearly impossible, so the legislation flew relatively under the radar. It just wasn't looked at enough, which I think is ridiculous. I think it's nice. Especially now, there wasn't enough um, forethought into what's now happening. Well, this is a problem with Democrats in general. Yeah. Uh, They're not proactive enough. They're reactive when things happen. They're not proactive to stop these things from happening in the first place. And um, I just think that that's kind of a cop-out thing to say. Like, well, we just didn't think it was going to get overturned. I'm like, what? why? Because yeah. it's something that since it was enacted, the has, right has been trying to overturn. Yeah, exactly. And you knew that this conservative president was going to get to bring people to the Supreme Court. So, what? It's true. <laughs> like, it's true. It's totally true. So, Cory Booker was one of the first people to present codifying Roe v. Wade as his official platform for abortion, which was followed by... Sorry, guys, I'm struggling with allergies, so I'm sounding awful. Followed by Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who published a post on Medium.com putting uh, codifying Roe v. Wade into law as point on her plan to truly go on offense to guarantee women's civil rights. 
Elizabeth Warren posted on Medium.com and called congressional action to protect choice, also placed codifying Roe v. Wade as the first item in her plan for Congress to pass federal laws that protect access to reproductive care. By Tuesday of this week, 22 out of 24 Democrats running for president have made statements in support of codifying Roe v. Wade. And the only two that hadn't were Bill de Blasio and Tulsi, my handwriting, Gabards? Gabins? Gabards. I don't know. Tulsi? <laughs> Mac, as soon as I said that, Max was like, oh, like she's not a good candidate. I don't know anything about I don't her. know. I haven't looked into her at all. Me either. Um, their campaigns haven't responded to the request of comment. So um, on Wednesday morning, Senators Blumenthal and Baldwin, along with representatives Judy Chu and Lois Frankel, announced they would introduce a bill that would accomplish exactly what the Democratic candidates are discussing, which would be called the Women's Health Protection Act. It's a version of what was introduced in 2013, and it would, quote, guarantee women's right to safe and legal abortion and stop restrictive regulations and laws. Senators Warren, Gillibrand, Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Kamala Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, and Michael Bennett are all co-sponsors on the bill. But there's more. Not Biden? (laughs) I didn't say. Hmm. He might be, but it doesn't say. So... Unfortunately, this bill has little to no chance of passing Congress with a Republican majority. No, it, it seems like a symbolic gesture. Yes. They know that it, it's not going to pass. Yeah, because even if the Democrats keep the House and take back the Senate, as well as the presidency, there's really no chance that this is going to happen anytime soon within any of the next presidential terms that these people would be in office for. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I, I just feel like, think about how long it took Obama to kind of, like, overturn a lot of what George W. Bush had done. Think about well, how and without, long it Well, and without the support of the Supreme Court, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, it's really, really difficult. So they're saying that congressional legislation isn't the safest option to protect abortion rights. But also in this article, they're not really giving any, like, alternatives so I kept, like, reading, being like, okay, so what should we do? And I wasn't really getting any alternatives. Um, so because of all of this, Democratic presidential candidates framed the option as a safety net or last resort, which I don't understand either, and that's why I added it in here. So they're like, just in case we do take back the Senate, we're going to try to do this? I don't know. But um, Warren's plan proposes something that will target trap laws, which is the name advocates gave to state laws to aim to shutter abortion clinics by passing regulations difficult for them to comply with. So these two anonymous abortion rights advocates showed concern that framing passing a bill in Congress as the number one way to combat the attack on abortion rights from the right could be interpreted as defeatist by the voters who are already sharing and consuming misinformation out of panic. So it's like... There's all this misinformation being, like, thrown around, but I don't understand why they wouldn't want this discussion at all. They're just saying it's not the number one way to combat the attack, and as I'm reading this, I'm kind of like, okay, then then give me something. I believe don't shut one option down without right. having to me, be in place of something I, else that's more positive, you know? I... I don't know. I, I appreciate the gesture, I guess, but to me, it's it feels like an incredibly hollow gesture. It yeah. doesn't feel like anything, um, and maybe there's nothing that can be done. But again, that's a result of inaction previously. Like, yeah, there should almost... have been more direct action. I feel like people have felt 
so again, this is the problem with Democrats and progressives. Uh, that is not a problem on the right. The right is not afraid ever to rock the boat or look like the bad guy. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like everyone has kind of been like, well, we have Roe v. Wade, so it's okay, and kind of like tiptoeing around the issue of abortion because they don't want to piss off or alienate people, like, quote, unquote, you know? And so they haven't brought this up in the past yeah, uh, as forcefully as they needed to. And now we're in a situation where there's not a lot they can do, but they're like, but this? This question almost mark? seems to me like a diversion tactic to make people feel safe when they shouldn't. That's kind of what I'm taking from it, is where it's like, oh, well, like, for a lot of people, they'd read the first half of that article and be like, oh, they're going to try to pass this bill and these make it a law and codify Roe v. Wade. For me, it's great. It seems like, like- my, good, my job is done. But then you keep reading and you learn more. Like, it almost seems like a diversion tactic in a way. Yeah, I, I feel like they're capitalizing on people's fear. And they, I mean, they're doing it, I think, with good intentions. You know, I love Warren specifically. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think that it's good that it's part of their platform. Yeah. I mean, it's good to know where they stand. And hopefully once once they get onto the debate stage, they can um, articulate that and stand by that. And it's it's not just empty promises. And it's not just a trend either. Right. Right. But we'll see. Yeah, we will. But this week alone, abortion rights groups organized nearly 500 protests across the country. So I wanted to end it on a bit of a happy note in that segment. You know, this news cycle right now is just like a shit fire. Like, because there's this, which we've talked about, you know, this is our third week, so I won't, like, go on too much more about that. But um, there's that, all of that. Missouri just passed a bill as well um, early this week or late last week. Which sucks. Yeah. Uh, but there's also all the stuff that's been going on with the subpoenas and Mueller report mm-hmm. and William Barr and all of these things that are happening right now. Trump is losing his goddamn fucking mind. <laughs> uh, but it was just more than I was wanting or willing I don't to blame go you. into this week. That was about all I could muster. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it led me to Facebook ranting and lashing out on people on Facebook. <laughs> so whatever. let's talk a little <clears throat> bit about something else that is annoying um and disheartening sure so harriet tubman was supposed to be on the 20 dollar bill this has been a thing that has been talked about and discussed for a very long time she's supposed to replace andrew jackson because no one fucking likes him anyway yeah and if you do you're a piece of shit because andrew jackson was a racist piece of shit agreed um (laughs) and has been on our money for far too long in the first place, we have no women on our money, and Harriet Tubman was a goddamn fucking spy. Yeah, <laughs> and a fucking an hero. Amazing American hero. And uh, we were all fucking like, yeah, put her on the $20 bill. Yes. Let's do the damn thing. Womp, and womp, so womp. she was set to be on the $20 bill in 2020. Yep. It was meant to coincide with the passing of the 19th Amendment, the centennial uh, of that, which happened in 1920 having our first woman and our first person of color on, uh, you know, a main denomination of currency. I mean, we had the Sagagawea coins, yeah. but one, no one uses those. It's, yeah. it's kind of like the Susan B. Anthony coins. It's like yeah. no one, nobody uses these. Uh, and so having her on a denomination of money that is widely used would have been amazing. Would have been incredible. How shit on that parade, didn't they? Um, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin said on a Wednesday that the redesign of the twenty dollar bill featuring Harriet Tubman will no longer be unveiled in twenty twenty. Uh, 
and instead that the design process has been delayed, which is a very vague thing to say. What the fuck do you mean? This This has been in the works for so many years now that I'm like, what do you mean the design process has been delayed? How long does it take to design a dollar bill? Um, Put her picture on it, goddammit. Seriously. (laughs) And that there will be no new imagery unveiled until 2028. And he he said, the primary reason we have looked at redesigning the currency is for counterfeiting issues. So not about any kind of trying to get a, you know, a genocidal maniac off of our money yeah, or anything like that, but for counterfeiting issues. Based upon this, a $20 bill will now not come out until 2028. The $10 bill and $50 bill will come out with new features beforehand. What? Not with new people on them, I don't think. Just oh. new anti-counterfeit features. What? But if you can put anti-counterfeit features on the 10 and the 50... Then what about the 20? Then it just kind of seems like your only problem with the 20 is putting a new face on it. Like because other, the other features, it I think it's the kind a of problem. face they're putting on it. Yeah, it's a black woman's um, face. So the decision to put Harriet Tubman on the new twenty was driven by thousands of responses we received from Americans, young and old. And this was said by uh, the former Treasury Secretary Jack Lew. Um, he said, "I have been particularly struck by the many comments and reactions from children for whom Harriet Tubman is not just a historical figure, but a role model for leadership and participation yeah. in our democracy." Uh, President Donald Trump, months before he was elected, called the decision to put Tubman on the currency pure political correctness, and proposed putting her portrait on the $2 bill. What? That no one uses. I mean, it's lucky, but... Nobody uses it. No one uses it. (laughs) Which, I'm sure, was his point. And, you know, speaking of what kind of fucking psychopath would admire Andrew Jackson, uh, Trump does. Yeah. And has has said that before. So, So there you go. Uh, so <sighs> this is a bummer, and um, hopefully, if we can get somebody else in office and get a new Treasury Secretary, they can moving. get the ball moving quicker than twenty twenty eight. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, but we'll just have to see. I don't want to wait nine years. No, I mean I've done me my neither. waiting. Me neither. I, I have to look at stupid fucking Andrew Jackson's face every time I have a twenty dollar bill. It's I'm bullshit. I'm just gonna do two Hamiltons instead. Yeah. <sighs> Um, so I see what you have next. Yeah. This is what I was going to talk about last week. I was too. Whenever I was like, I, I had one more thing and I was like, well, I'll just save it but for next more week. more shit happened yeah, this week. more shit want to talk about it. has happened. So. Do you have another, like, more horrible thing or? No, that's it. This is your thing too? Oh yeah. Oh my God, look at us. So you guys, okay, did you watch Arthur as a kid? Obsessed. I didn't have cable. So I, I was obsessed with uh, PBS. My morning routine when I was younger is that I would be woken up by my mom at like six like 45 or 50 because it would come out at 7 and I would get in bed with her and she will have already made me chocolate milk it was with the regular milk with the Hershey syrup stirred in it was a very specific ratio and then there was this one section of my parents bedroom where if we stomped on the floor it was directly above my dad's office and then he knew he had to come up from work to spend a half an hour with us and I would lay between my mom and my dad and we would watch Arthur and drink chocolate milk every morning so I've seen Every Arthur episode up to probably, like, 2003, 
poor, maybe. Sure. Because even when I was like too old for Arthur, oh, it was, like, I, on I, in the background. I always, always. watched. I, I watched PBS for a very long time. It's just comforting. Yeah. There's something about like nostalgic shows that like even now if I see that it's on, I'll just like have it on in the background. You know. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and these these shows for people who did not have cable. Like, these shows were, like, our, our lifeblood yeah. as children. Yeah, like, I didn't have cable until I was a little bit older, so it was all about uh, Dragon Tales, mm-hmm, Clifford the Big Red mm-hmm. Dog, all this kind of stuff. So, Mr. Rapper finally got married! Yeah, so if you watched Arthur, um, Mr. Ratburn, you would recognize the teacher, even if you don't recognize the name, if you saw the drawing. It's like the, the is he a, a rat? I, I think he is, a, like, a rat. Yeah, yeah. it's rat burns. How yeah. sense. He's got the long, long nose. And I remember when they introduced him, when, like, Arthur is, like, going into a new grade, like, the first season, he's, like, seen as being really, really scary, but he's actually really, really nice. Really nice. And he loves cake. Yes. Loves cake. So, all of his students are invited to this wedding. This is, by the way, the season 22 premiere. Which is bananas to me that this show... I did not know the show was still on. Me, too. I thought that the show... Once I was too old... Like, not too old, but once I stopped watching it, I don't know what I thought happened to Arthur. I just kind of thought... And you know what? just reruns. I had watched Arthur probably longer than most people my age because my little brothers and I are nine and ten years apart. Yeah. And so, it was all... We always had PBS on for them. So, I watched Arthur for a long time, but I just figured it was reruns done now. Yeah. yeah. So the episode shows all of the uh, kids, all of his students, going to the wedding, and they're like trying. The whole episode is like them trying to figure out who he's marrying. And at first, I think it's this um, rat that turns out to be his sister, who's voiced by Jane Lynch. At first, they think that she's the one he's getting married to, and then he walks down the aisle. With a guy named Patrick, who is the new chocolatier in town, which Isn't is like adorable? he loves cake. He's marrying a chocolatier. It's so cute. So once they discover who Mr. Rapburn is getting married, they were pleasantly surprised, and they support their teacher, and the cake was delicious, and everyone's happy, except e- Alabama. Yeah, and and <laughs> Alabama's upset because Alabama is the fucking worst. At this point, if I lived in Alabama, I would get the fuck out. Uh, yeah. if possible, because enough is enough. And, but, like, I... Okay, are you watching The Bachelorette? I am not really watching okay, it. Okay, because that's all I can think about when I see Alabama Hannah. I'm like, someone asked this girl. But I know it would be some, like, polished, rehearsed Oh, response, absolutely. She's know, the most... Like, uh, from the bits and pieces I've seen at work, uh, she is the most... Alabama? Pro- pro- well, she's the most produced... Like oh, Bachelorette, yeah, I've seen. Looking at her from when she was on The Bachelor right. to now is like night. There's and day. someone managing her like completely. Yeah, entirely. Um, yeah, but I, they are upset about this. But this isn't the first time that PBS. First of all, it's not the first time that PBS as a whole has done something similar to this or introduced gay characters. Yeah, um, but on all, Arthur even. But also, um, not on Arthur proper, but in no, the they did. in the Arthur universe. Yeah, they oh, it, was it, it was, not on the actual show where it, they had the character with the two moms? It was on Postcards from Buster, which I also oh, used to watch. It was like a, a Arthur spin-off, spin-off show. And it was a 2005 episode of the show, Postcards from Buster. And he, you know, the whole premise of the show is that he would receive postcards from people and read about their lives and stories. Mm-hmm. And then they would do, you know, things where in this one, it was Vermont. So I think they went and like saw how maple syrup was made and things yeah. like that. And while he was there, he met several children whose moms were lesbians, to which he commented, boy, that's a lot of moms. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, you know... 
in both of these scenarios, while it was very clear they didn't try and conceal the fact, they did not use the word lesbian when or they talked gay. about the two men, uh, the two women, and they have not used the word gay on this episode of Arthur. Yeah. Um, so it seems like that's still something to, to Yeah, be. it is. So Alabama, Alabama Public Television refused to air the most recent episode as well. Programming director Mike McKenzie told NBC News that after viewing the episode, which came with a warning about possible viewer concerns before it, they decided to broadcast a rerun instead. PBS representative Maria Vera Whalen said to USA Today, PBS Kids programs are designed to reflect the diversity of communities across the nation. We believe it is important to represent a wide array of adults in the lives of children who look at PBS Kids every day. And basically, this um, Mike McKenzie guy is saying that parents trust Alabama Public Television and, like, though he says that parents should sit with their kids when they watch TV and ask them questions about it and things like that, which is all good and great, they also trust that if they were to leave the room while the kids are watching, that it's um, television that they would um, want their kids to see. So he's saying that that's the reason why they didn't show it, because they didn't feel like it would fit with the family values of every home in Alabama. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, as shitty and fucked up as all of us can clearly see this is, and while it was the wrong call, I'm not surprised at all, because uh, last, last Thanksgiving, at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, there was a dance that happened on one of the floats or one of the performances where there were like two it was like a whole song about love and there were two women dancing together and honestly i was watching the macy's thanksgiving day parade and i missed it it was so quick at the end um you know they gave each other a kiss at the end of the of the dance and twitter went bananas the number of like shitty you know, evangelical Christian boomers who were just like, I'm never watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade Good, again. I had my daughter with me when we were watching this. Blah, 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 blah. Poor daughter. It's, yeah, oh my God. <laughs> that it's not surprising to me at all that they would think that this was going to garner them complaints or it, yeah. whatever they thought. Yeah. Uh, but it's really shitty. And man... I just, if I was living in Alabama at this point, I'm so sorry to our listeners who live in Alabama. I would try, if I had any money or resources, to get the fuck out of that state. Get you out. It's really sad. It's just really weird because this guy, the Alabama public television dude, was like saying that the content was too mature. How? For, For the age, like, and that some of the viewers are... Um, like, younger than the target audience of Arthur. And I'm like, I've been watching Arthur since I was, like, a Yeah, I, I was not even aware of the fact that Arthur had a real target audience. It was something that, I mean, you just put a kid down in front of at yeah. whatever age. Yeah. And they it's watch the it. It's the same channel that does Teletubbies. While they're I growing mean, up. And I... <laughs> two cartoon characters getting married of any... They're animals! They're- gender or sexual <laughs> orientation... I guarantee you kids have sat in and seen worse. Yeah. Like just heard being in the room when their parents are watching anything. And maybe they maybe these kids in Alabama have overheard their parents talking about stricter abortion laws. You know, I feel like that's too mature. Yeah. I mean, it's just I just am never going to have 
I can't have an articulate argument about this because I just don't have... It's not based in logic. I don't have the same mindset or worldview as these yeah. people to try and decipher how they possibly could think that this could be harmful. Well, because, because he- it's just like... What do you think is going to happen? Your kid's going to be... Like, it's going to turn your kid gay? Like, that's what's going to yeah, happen if you see... probably is what they think. That's bananas. Yeah. Like, that is absolutely insane. Yeah, you can't... But this is the thing. You can't have a logical um, argument for something that's not logical. And this isn't logical. It's all about their fears and the ways that... And their backwards way of thinking. It's not a logical explanation It's just also for such it. a fucking dumb thing to be, quote-unquote, afraid of. Yeah. Like, our planet is going to kill us in 12 years but this is what you want to concern yourself with okay yeah like you know like so many diversion tactics actively like destroying our planet and we're all gonna die in like you know less than 100 years but but definitely concern yourself with two with two cartoon cartoon characters getting married yeah that was supposed to be my happy thing, and all it's done is piss me I off. I know I was going to gonna be my happy thing last week. Yeah, yeah. Well, because more has developed this week, yeah. and um, I did see though that the show creator did come out and release a statement. Yeah, and defend his decision. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if defend is the right word. He just came out explained. and t- explained it, and you know he's clearly obviously not sorry about it. He wants Arthur to be representative of all different kinds of families. And Which it kind of always has been. It like kind of always has been. all the different characters' lives, and um, it's it's such a happy, positive show. Well, that's the beauty of puts, PBS. Like, it puts, like, yeah, it puts a positive, like, take on things that kids actually go through every day. Like, I know there was, like, some kids only had one parent and, like, different um, heritages and cultures and lifestyles that they would touch PBS upon. has always been very good about inclusivity, yeah. which is why we need it. Like, we need public broadcasting, and we need to fight for it because every couple of years they try and defund or take money away from public broadcasting, and we need it because yeah. these shows, Sesame Street, Arthur... They've always been so good about showing what different families look like. Like, I've seen... That was my first introduction into different religions or socioeconomic classes that I didn't have an understanding of, cultures that I didn't have an understanding of. learning a lot about, like, ableism. Yes. There there was... I think that there is a character in a wheelchair, a disabled character. Yeah, I remember Sesame um, Street, too, having people in wheelchairs going on the show and things like that. Yeah, and Sesame Street just introduced a character that that is in the foster care system, like... It's it's a really great way to start introducing kids to different lifestyles than your own. And even if for whatever fucked up reason you disagree with whatever is being shown, whatever lifestyle is being shown or displayed, those lifestyles exist. And you have to introduce your child to it at some point anyway. Yeah. So why not allow this to be an easy introduction for them? There's a very bizarre line about what's mature... What's too mature for children? And I think that people don't give kids enough credit for their understanding. And I think that when you have these young, impressionable minds and you're teaching them about all these different lifestyles and characters, it's teaching them then to grow up and not have any prejudice against them. Like, it don't, they don't even see it as being an issue or yeah, but like these, a hot these topic. These people want prejudice against them. That's they, the problem. Exactly, they do. But th- the great part about these shows is the kids who are watching them are realizing these are all normal parts right. of the world and society. Yeah. And, like, they're going to grow up to become these amazing people without these prejudices. Mm-hmm. I don't see the issue with that. But 
you and I have just, just me. our brains just operate differently. That's exactly. all. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so you guys, we are at the end of the episode, correct? Yes. Okay. And oh, if I was stepping on your toes. No, there. no, you're good. So there's a couple things that we that we need to discuss with y'all. We have two episodes coming up that heavily, heavily, heavily rely on the stories that you send in. First is going to be the fatherhood episode, and I don't believe... Have we received any? Not that I've seen. We haven't received any fatherhood stories, and Father's Day is June 16th. We are going to need all of your stories in by June 11th if you'd like for us to have an episode. We need enough stories for us to be able to do that episode. If not, we will choose another topic, but we'd really, really love to do a fatherhood episode because we didn't do one last year, and a few people had suggested us doing one this year. So we really, really want to make that possible, but we are heavily, heavily relying on you. And then um, the, we were thinking the week after, on the 23rd, we would do our coming out episode. So I would highly suggest them that everybody have their coming out stories into us by the 18th of June. So we'd be prepared for mm-hmm. that. We've gotten a few of those already, but we need so many more. We're filling an entire episode, not a mini episode. So we really, really want to hear all of your stories on both of those topics. And it's really important for us to include the fact that we are not just looking for super positive, cheery, happy, we lived happily ever after kind of stories. We want to know what your realities are. We want to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, the otherwise, um, and share those experiences because they will make such a big difference in a lot of our listeners' lives. And I, we've said this time and time again, the coming out episode last year was our favorite episode that we did. And we would, I would love to make that a repeat of saying that that was my favorite episode of this year again. Yeah. So uh, we really, really need your stories for both. I think that the fatherhood episode could be something really, really um, important and amazing because I feel like there's a very, there tends to be a different relationship with mothers and fathers. And we've really explored the, the mother relationship. I think it would be really great to explore people's relationships with their fathers. I agree. So first and foremost, we really, really want to make sure that you get those stories into us. Also, you can, what do I usually start with? Uh, you can follow oh. us on Instagram. You can write in your stories. You want to, we want you to write into our stories. All you right. have to email us. Gosh. Okay. So with all those stories, go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can also direct message us on Instagram and follow us because that's where everything happens at angry neighborhood feminist on Instagram. You can go ahead and check us out on Facebook. We have a group and a business page. You can leave us a review on the business page. We love it so, so much. You can also follow us on Twitter if you want. We are at Yanf Podcast, Y-A-N-F Podcast. And please, please, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would appreciate it so, so, so much. And that review will be featured on Reviews Day Tuesday on Instagram. And we love it so much. And last but not least, please listen to us on Radio Public. We really, really appreciate all of you who consistently listen there. It's a free way for you to listen, and it helps us out just a little bit. And we really, really appreciate it. I think that's everything. All right, you guys, with all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy. But how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. 
Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were. And it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.